Well, it is, it is truly a gift when we can welcome another uh, worker in the, the kingdom business, the building of the kingdom, to come and, and serve among us and serve with us. And so uh, I, uh, I want you to know it, it, it blesses my heart when, when we get to partner with ministries in the area and, and, and glorify God in the midst of it. What a, what a blessing it is. And it's a testimony to the heart of our ministry leaders who desire to partner with other gospel-centered ministry leaders in our in our area. Can I, can I pray real quickly as we enter into this time? Heavenly Father, we are here for you. We desire to be with you, to be near to you. And Lord, uh, we desire to be transformed by you through your son, Jesus Christ. He's why we're here, Lord. So have your way in our hearts and minds. May your word guide us deeper into a, a knowledge of you, a trust in you, and, and may you have your way in us, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're going to talk about together this morning uh, just was ringing on my heart as we were singing songs together, as we were worshiping God together. We're talking about a place. We're talking about a place, a, a, a people who are gathered together around Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. And when you picture the church, it's not a bunch of healthy, healed people looking down on all those sickly people standing around them or outside the church. It's a place filled with people who are being transformed by the one power in this world that can truly do the work of transformation and change, namely Jesus Christ himself. The problem is we live in a world where we believe there are many options of powers that we can trust in and rely on to do that work of transformation, to, to be that place of refuge, to give us strength to face the day, to, to do all those things that we would, that, that, that we would think we are, are the most pressing needs in our lives. But the reality is there's really only one power that we need, Jesus Christ himself. I heard a, I don't always like to start off with jokes, but I heard a joke this week that just, it kept running through my head, so I had to share it. Uh, why don't they allow Jesus into jewelry stores? Because he breaks every chain. Yeah, there it is, right? <laughs> There's something to that, that Jesus alone can break the hold of things in our lives that, that, that we feel helpless and powerless to, to address. And the reality is that the church is and always has been that place where we remind ourselves, where we tell one another that we can only come before Jesus and he alone is the person and the place where God pours out his transforming power to change our lives. Only Jesus can truly break every chain on our lives. No amount of hypnosis or, or energy crystals or good vibes or any of those things that we may talk about in this world will do the work that we truly long for and truly need. Jesus alone, in Jesus alone, is the power to truly break every chain and transform our lives. And so we come to, to Acts chapter 19 and we're going to look at the history of the church in Ephesus with the idea that this reality was true then as it is today. That even then, the people of, 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 of Ephesus, people in the church and even those outside the church, they were all looking for answers, ways to change lives, ways to overcome the, the challenges and the, the, the circumstances in front of them that seem insurmountable, that seem hopeless to overcome. And yet, even there in the, kind of the, the seed stage of the church in Ephesus, we see God being declared as the one true source of power to change lives. Let me read for us Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but 
who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. So what we see happening here is an important glimpse into the, the situation in which the, the church in Ephesus was growing up. Kind of the, a, a, a window into the soul of the church for a day, a day in the life of the church of Ephesus in its, its early founding. And what we see here is that like oil and water that can't be mixed together, neither can following Jesus and all the other options that our world offers, the other world religions and worldviews, they, they, they can't mix, they can't go hand in hand. Maybe it's possible for, for different religions to, to kind of coexist in a geographical space, but here's the thing, they can't coexist within our hearts, right? We may be able to get along peacefully with other religions in our town and in our state and our country and things like that, but those two religions, those two ways of being cannot coexist within our hearts, within the heart of a follower of Jesus. It's like oil and water. We can't ask for prayers and good vibes, right? We, we can't uh, seek good luck and God's providence. We can't, th- th- those two things don't coexist within a person's heart. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches his disciples that that they can't serve two masters. Why? Philosophically speaking, you just don't have the capacity to serve one God and serve the other. You can't serve both God and money. Why? Because you're gonna love one and hate the other. You're always gonna have an imbalance of love and priority toward one as opposed to the other. So these two gods can't coexist in your heart. Only one. To love and serve money by nature will will cause you to neglect and reject your love of God. See, we we were created with hearts to worship and serve and love one God. This morning, our passage invites us to to think about where these two ideas, these two world religions come head to head and clash. And specifically here in Ephesus, the popular religion that was, that, that was being uh, kind of held, that was, that was most familiar with people there in Ephesus, was this idea of trusting in magic. But, but more than just pinpointing magic as the problem, Paul invites us to understand that, that any and all other religions are inconsistent with the way of Jesus. We can't say, man, I really love the teaching of Jesus, but you know what, I also, I like what this religion does over here, so I want to sprinkle this practice in. I, I want to include this, because, because you know why? In that moment, we're saying that Jesus is not the only way, the truth, and the life. That, that, that is Jesus and, and that doesn't work. It doesn't mix. The two, the, the, the two will not blend together. See, the, the problem for the people in Ephesus was that they thought that Christianity was just another tool for their toolboxes. It it was working for some people, right? We see these Jewish exorcists, they see what Paul's doing, that people are actually being healed, and they're like, wow, that looks like an interesting tool. I gotta add that to my toolbox. Not not like I I have to abandon my old way and follow Jesus. They're thinking, hey, there's something there with that Jesus guy. Let's add him to the mix. Let, let, let's maybe, maybe if we kind of tap into what, what Paul's pointing out here, our lives will, will be better. We'll, we'll be able to offer more. In reality, what the people there in the church are going to realize, and what I think we all need to realize as well, is that in saying yes to following Jesus, 
we're going to simultaneously be saying no to certain things in this world. In saying yes to Jesus, we're going to be saying no to certain practices and ideas that we think might have been powerful or helpful in us overcoming some of the problems of our past. See, like, like oil and water that cannot occupy the same space in a container, but will naturally separate itself from one another, so other religions cannot occupy the same place in our heart with God. And so as history records for us, Ephesus was that city where there was lots of different religions that were available to to try out and to, to invest in and explore. In fact, the most popular, as I mentioned, was this idea of believing in magic. Spells, spell books, incantations, amulets, you know, things like, like lucky rabbit's foot or feet and things like that. Religion, uh, the heaviest religious influence in Ephesus was a belief in magic. There's even, uh, there, there's even archaeologists who have found these kind of, some of these incantations engraved into the, the statue of Diana, which, is, which was in um, or the Artemis in Ephesus there, the, the, in the temple of Diana. Uh, and it's just this idea that, that, that if people who came to worship her said these words in this way, they could tap into the, to the power that she offered. See, magic was, was not just a, a way of, of, of religious life. It was a lucrative business. In the marketplace, people were selling these, these items, the books, the, the, the incantations, the amulets. It was a way of, of, of making a living, Right? If you were to walk through the marketplace, you could see how hungry people were, not just to make a buck, but to, to, to find an answer to the issue of, of how they can gain power and, and ability, right? There, there was an awareness that there was a hunger in Ephesus to address some of the problems in their world, and they thought maybe magic would be that answer. And so there was quite a, a, a business or a, an economy for these the, the, the tools of, of the magic religion. And so when Paul comes on the scene preaching about the life of Jesus, preaching about the sort of transformation that happens for those who follow Jesus, you could imagine how the, the, the landscape is primed for, for people to soak it up, to see what Paul is doing, to see what God is doing through Paul's hands and they think, oh, man, what's this new magical religion that we see coming out? What, that they can heal the sick. And, 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 and so people were hungry for what Paul was preaching. In the original Greek of verse 11, Luke actually refers to this power that Paul is exhibiting as, as an uncommon power. It's not just miracles, like we read it as miracles, but what's happening is Paul is exhibiting a power that these people have not seen. It's uncommon to their, reflect, or their, their, um, their memory and their familiarity, and they're curious. They're thinking, oh, I, 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 got, I have to have that, right? I mean, how many of us have ever seen some new cell phone or new thing that comes out in the marketplace and we think, oh, I need that, Right? But we don't really, it's, it's this like hunger for, for what we think this, this object or this item will, will bring us. And, and so the people in Ephesus, they were, they were hungry for a new option, a new idea, some, something to help them overcome their problems, some sort of power that they could rely on to help them overcome their illness or, or their enemies, to, to rain down a curse on their enemies, Right? So this uncommon power, though, that Paul exhibited was not because of his wit or his wisdom, his strength, or, or, or the fact that he had some incantation in his pocket that he could recite. The, the, the work that was happening in and through Paul's hands was a power that was uncommon to man. See, the, the miracles that were happening through Paul were not because of something Paul did or said, but because of the will of God. So Luke makes it clear for, for his readers that it was God who was doing these extraordinary miracles, not Paul. It, it was God who was, who, who was exhibiting this uncommon power through the hand of Paul, but it wasn't Paul's power. 
Paul was, was, just an available, uh, was just available to be a vessel to be used by God, for God's power to be exhibited and glorified and magnified to the world around them. And so if I could encourage us to slow down for a minute and notice something, I think this is where we see the sharpest divide between Christianity and magic, between miracles and and man-made parlor tricks, between Christianity and, and any other world religion. See, magic attempts to serve the purpose of the magician. Right? Anyone who, who would try to, to, to recite a, an incantation or to, to, to heal the sick but by holding an amulet over their head, it was all for selfish purposes. There, there, is, there is no record found of, of someone doing magic for the purposes of, of a deity, for, of, of, a, of a god. When we see uh, magic being performed or attempted to be performed, it's all for selfish purposes to serve the, the purposes of the person who's trying to do the magic. Whereas miracles, miracles as they're recorded for us in the gospel, always only exhibit the purposes of our maker. They, they point to Jesus as the son of God with the authority of God. They, they exhibit the, the, the purposes of Jesus' ministry. And, and so even if it's at the hands of his disciples, the, the miracles that happen all point to the purposes for which Jesus came as our Savior and our King. Magic was a means for selfish gain. Now, magic was often understood to be any sort of ritual or means of acquiring spiritual power over a god, over a demon, or over some spiritual power. And this supposed power enabled the person to invoke this spiritual spirit, to, to manipulate it, to, to accomplish what that person wanted it to do, right? There, I, I won't read it for us, but there's actually, uh, the archaeologists found some incantation. It was very broad, very general. And at the end it says, so that you might do whatever I ask you to do, right? That's what magic is for. Like we, we, we try to find, you know, something that will just accomplish what we want, what we need, rather than being dependent on the purposes and the plans of our maker and seeing his plans fulfilled. So when it comes to magic, people believe they could get what they wanted, when they wanted, just by following a prescribed formula of reciting an incantation. I mean, we, we see this today, don't we? People who, who've got a, a cross around their neck, which is really quite a cool thing to, to exhibit the cross of Christ as you go around, but then who feel the need to kiss it before they, they do something. Or, you know, like we've got, our, we've got our, our, our good luck charms or our good luck rhythms or routines or our good luck pants or whatever it would be that, that we think, if I do this or I use this, the outcome of my situation will be what I want it to be. And so it's, it wasn't a new thing then when Paul enters into Ephesus to start preaching the message of Jesus. It's not a new thing now. Magic was well established in the culture when, when Paul comes on the, on the scene. If you were to flip back in your Bibles, you'd see that even before then, it was something like in, in, in there's examples in the Mosaic law that forbid the Israelites from adopting the practices of magic that would be found in the nations surrounding them as they came into the promised land. In Deuteronomy, for example, the, the people are forbid from divination, from consulting omens, from, from witchcraft, sorcery, all those things. And, and yet, when Jesus comes on the scene, things start happening that seem a lot like magic. The, the, the blind are given sight. The, the deaf and the mute are healed. The cripple can stand and walk. Jesus even had moments where he, he spit in the dirt, made some mud, rubbed it on the eyes of a blind man, and then told him to go wash it off, and the man's sight comes back. For people who don't know Jesus, that would look a lot like magic. 
But Jesus' purposes in doing these things was not his own. It was not to make a dollar or a drachma or whatever. It it was not to, to, to kind of make sure he had a huge crowd of followers. In fact, Jesus seems to kind of, as you follow his life, move away from the crowds, move on from the crowds so that others might hear the message that he's proclaiming. See, Jesus' Jesus's purpose in doing things, these things was not his own, but was a purpose that was given to him by his heavenly Father. You may remember that at the start of Jesus' public ministry, he stands up in a temple and begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And he tells the people very specifically why he came. Not for his own glory, for his own, own sort of popularity. Not, not so that, that people would dish out money and he could go around being an itinerant speaker making lots of money doing it. He, he, gave, he, he stands up and reads from the prophet Isaiah and declares something very specific about his purpose. Listen to what he does in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. He reads this from the the scriptures in in Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He's given me purpose. He's, he's, He's sent me forth with this purpose. I'm his chosen one to go out and to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus' miracles of giving sight to the blind and setting at liberty those who are oppressed were all to announce the arrival of God's kingdom, the coming of God's kingdom, and his reign as the king. That, that, That the one that people have been waiting for has arrived in Jesus. And in other words, don't just take my word for it. See the power that's at work in and through me. It's not for selfish gain that he does these things. It's to make it clear to people that in him, God is pouring out his power in this earth to transform people, to to transform them from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. And so Jesus' miracles are not magic. They're, They're an exhibition of God's power in and through Jesus to make it clear that people understand the kingdom of God has come. The year of the Lord's favor has arrived. So church, Christianity and magic, or or really any other religion for that matter, or religious way of being, or spirituality, cannot coexist in the hearts of the people because they're driven by very different purposes. They're meant to accomplish very different plans and purposes. We're going to get into this as we explore Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. But, but, but even in, the, in his letter to the Ephesian church, he reminds the church of what God's purpose is for his people. That it's not selfish gain, but selfless love. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians, Paul tells the church this. He says, Therefore be Imitators of God as beloved children, and do what? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is our purpose. This, this is the purpose for which Jesus arrives on the scene, proclaiming himself to be the Son of God, declaring the, the year of the Lord's favor, the kingdom of God has come. And that we might walk in, in, in imitation of God as his beloved children. That, that, that we, we're not people who pick up and put down Christianity to fit our selfish needs, but that we've now become a part of the family of God. And as such, we walk in the same purposes that Jesus exhibited in and through his ministry. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, so we might walk in love. See, Paul, Paul knew what the lay of the land was there in Ephesus. He, he, knew, he knew what he was preaching and proclaiming came head to head with, with the, the religious landscape, and, and, and he knew that, that there was going to be a face-off between these conflicting world religions. And this conflict 
in kind of a moment of hilarity, is made more visible in these next few verses of our passage. See, the people of Ephesus, no matter how amazed they were by God's power working through Paul, they didn't understand that the power of God is not a power to wield, but a power to cooperate with. Look at what Luke records for us in verses 13 to 16. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I mean, two powers at work. And, and not only do these, these itinerant Jewish exorcists, not only do they fail in, in, in exorcising these demons out of this man, not only do they fail in, in trying to wield the power of Jesus' name, but they actually are overpowered by that evil demon themselves so that they run out of the house wounded and naked. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not just like, hey, uh, you know, a swing and a miss, like it didn't work. It, it, it actually is a very humbling moment where it's not just they failed, but then they were hurt by the very thing that they tried to exercise power over. They themselves became overpowered by this evil demon. See, the, the name of Jesus is not a formula to recite or an incantation to invoke. I think sometimes when we pray, we do this. Not meaning, not meaning to, but, but I certainly do it. When I'm praying, at the end of my prayer, I say, in Jesus' name, amen. Right? Almost like uh, I've got to say, sincerely, your child, Dan, or something like that. Like an ending to a letter or something like that. Now, I'm not, I'm not anticipating that this is a magical incantation, but at the same time, I think sometimes we, we, we treat the name of Jesus, we deplete the name of Jesus of its power, right? We see it as something we're supposed to say at the end of our prayer rather than understanding, recognizing the power in which we pray because we have Jesus in our life, because we're committed to following him, because of all those things, we have been promised to have the spirit of God to dwell in us, to empower us and to, to guide us to shepherd us, and to lead us. And so the name of Jesus is not a formula to recite nor an incantation to invoke. That's what the, these seven sons of Sceva show us in our passage this morning. They thought that just by saying Jesus' name, the, 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 the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims, right, that, that if they could just do that, then, then they too would have power over evil spirits. They too could do what Paul did, but actually the evil spirits had the power over them, right? See, magic as they understood it proved to be useless while Paul's ministry was still very powerful. So what's the difference between the two? What's, what's the difference going on here in these verses between Paul's ministry and the, 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 Jewish, the itinerant Jewish exorcist? See, the, the itinerant Jewish exorcist saw Jesus' name as a tool to wield in, in, in kind of making money and making a name for themselves. They went around as itinerant Jewish exorcists. They went around from village to village, from town to town, exercising what, what looked powerful to people so they could get money and, and popularity and, and, and kind of make a name for themselves. But, but not, so, so in, in exercising this power, they, they're, they're not doing something to, to, to kind of uh, glorify God. They're treating it as something that they could pick up or put down based on whether or not it would benefit them in that moment. And so for Paul, something very different is going on. For Paul, Jesus' name was not just something to say, like at the end of Pastor Dan's prayer, it was something to be believed in and a lifestyle to embrace. Notice what the demon says when the seven men try to get rid of it. I know Jesus. I recognize Paul. But who are you? Right? In other words, if, if either Jesus or Paul had been the one to exercise the demon, it would have acknowledged them and obeyed them. 
the power that they wielded over this demon would have been recognized. The, the book of James tells us that, that even demons recognize Jesus and they shudder. They're afraid of Jesus. But these seven sons of Sceva, they're not coming in the name of Jesus. They're just trying to use his name like they, like they know Jesus. They don't actually know him. They don't follow him. They don't even know enough about him to say anything other than in the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Right? That's the best they can do. That's the closest they can get to knowing Jesus and following him. So the, the name of Jesus isn't a power to wield, but, but a power to cooperate with. And when we do, even the demons will shudder in fear. So how do we cooperate with God's power and face the world in the name of Jesus? How do we, how do we, how do we move along with Jesus' purposes and, and plan? By submitting to him and, and, and then living out his purposes and plans. Like, it doesn't work, church, for us to show up on Sunday and say, I'm a member of Trinity Baptist Church, so I've got the power of God working in me. What, what works is when we individually submit to Jesus, commit to his ways, follow his purposes and plans as, as he unpacks them for us in the word of God. To, to, to invoke the name of Jesus to call on Jesus and to rely on him for power and strength is to commit ourselves to his ways, to trust that he's faithful and good and will accomplish all that he has set out to do. So to, to, to cooperate with God's power, we, we come to know him. We confess that he's Lord, that he's our king, and we commit our ways to him. We're not, we're not weekend warriors for Christ. We don't, we, don't, we don't go to church on Sunday and then live a very different lifestyle the rest of the week. Our Monday through Sunday all is lived all in reflection of who Jesus is and following after him. That's what it means to, to submit ourselves to him and commit to following him. If you believe in something, you live as if it's true. Right? If, you, if you believe that a plane can truly fly, then you're not afraid to get on the plane. Right. If we believe exercise is good for our health, then we start to work out regularly. We think, you know, we, we believe in it. We believe in, in its practices. And if you believe in the name of Jesus, then you believe in living obediently to his life and his teachings. So I think the, the magicians just thought that the name of Jesus was, was an incantation to recite. That if they said his name in this way at this time, it would do what they wanted him to do. But what Paul taught the people was that the power associated with the name of Jesus is a lifestyle to believe in. It's not a power to wield. It's a power to embrace and to let have authority over your life, to let Jesus work in your life and transform you from the inside out. Now, there, there were many other, uh, others like these itinerant Jewish exorcists who, who wanted the name of Jesus because they thought it brought them power, but, but then weren't really willing to embrace all of the life of Jesus. But more than just this private lesson for the seven sons of Sceva or the, the people like them is the lesson that all the residents of Ephesus learned. The, the lesson that I hope we come away with today. That, that the magic was powerless to change lives. That other world religions are actually powerless to transform and change lives. And Jesus transforms everything. But here's the thing. The path to transformation comes at a cost. Jesus changes everything, but the path to get there comes at a cost. It's not us crying out for Jesus, come and change my life, but change it on my terms. When we submit ourselves to Jesus, submit ourselves to his power to work in our lives, we're submitting ourselves to his way. We're, 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 we're agreeing with his, his purpose and his plan to transform us, but it comes at a cost. Look at the next few verses in our passage. Luke tells us in Acts 19, verse 17 to 20, that, that what happened to the seven sons of Sceva 
became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. It was made clear far and wide about something different and new and uncommon going on through the name of Jesus. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And, as, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. See, the, the cost of following Jesus and allowing his power to be at work in our lives is abandoning our trust in everything that is not of God. There are things at work in our hearts right now that we're having a hard time letting go of in terms of trusting. Things like our own ability, things like our bank account, things like our family or, or our friends around us. We, we, we rely on, we trust in those things when Jesus is saying, no, First and foremost, trust in me, right? It's not Jesus in a rabbit's foot. It's not, a, it's not prayers and good vibes. It's not Christ and energy crystals. It's only in the name of Jesus that we find the power to see lives transformed. When we fully surrender and submit to Jesus having way in our lives, when, when we're willing to not stand there and tell God what's right and what's true, but willing to accept God's definition of what is right and true and to allow it to have authority in our lives, only then can we find and, and see the power uh, to see our lives transformed in the name of Jesus. Recently, I, I heard someone describe the difference between Christianity and other religions like this. Religion tells us to believe which changes our behavior, which allows us to belong in a community, right? Religion tells us to believe. Once we believe, that leads to changed, beha or, uh, yeah, changed behavior, which allows us to belong in a community. But that's not how the, the gospel works. See, Christianity and the good news of Jesus, it, 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 it invites us to believe. But here's the thing. In believing, we find acceptance, and belonging in the community of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. In that place of acceptance and belonging, we experience a transformation of behavior over time. Religion says believe, then it changes our behavior, and then we can belong, right? Our behavior has to change so we can belong in the community of faith. The gospel says believe, and in believing you belong to the family of God. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as a citizen of the kingdom of God, your behaviors are changed and transformed. Right? World religion tells you to believe and your behavior will change. And then once your behavior changes, then you'll receive acceptance. The gospel tells us to simply believe in the name of Jesus. And in believing in the name of Jesus, you find acceptance in the family of God. And as you live in that place, the power of God transforms you from the inside out. In that place of belonging, as a child of God, you become someone new and different because the power of Jesus is at work in your life. Behavior is not a prerequisite for our acceptance, only belief. See, this was the crux of the matter at work between the religious magic culture of Ephesus and, and the good news that Paul preached about. And Luke tells us that after word of Jesus spread throughout the land, many people came to believe that in his name is power. In Jesus' name is power. See, they had gone from belief to acceptance in the community of faith. They had gone from belief to belonging but here comes the cost, church, because from belonging comes a changed behavior. As a result of their belief in Jesus, God began to work in their hearts. God opened their eyes. God gave them awareness and visibility around the things that had to change in their hearts. Well, I think sometimes we think in this world that, 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 that 
we're meant to just accept everyone in the church. And in a sense, we are. But in coming to the church, in coming to the, the in, in submitting to the name of Jesus, there's a third piece that has to go on here that is at work within the people of God. As a church, we are a place where the name of Jesus is proclaimed and submitted to and trusted in. And so when people look in on the church, they should see lives paying the cost of following Jesus, of abandoning themselves to their old ways and turning and following Jesus. See, as a result of their belief in Jesus, they experienced acceptance in the family of God. And, and from their seat at God's table, they could look around and see the inconsistencies of their past behavior and the behavior that happens at the table of the king. These verses here in Acts 19, I think, are a beautiful picture of repentance. Not only were the believers confessing that their old ways were consistent with the new life that they had in Jesus' name, but they were also making decisions that made it clear there was no going back for them. That this was not going to be my old life and the new life Jesus offers me. This, this was not going to be uh, a prayer and good vibes, right? This was going to be Jesus only. Luke tells us that, that they, they brought their books together. These are not just random books. These are all the, the books that they, uh, that they use to kind of adhere to their old ways, their magic incantations, their formulas, all, all the things that, that, that they would use to try and get what they wanted using magic, right? Luke says they brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Two things. One, they're, they're going to they're gonna abandon their old ways, but they're not doing it privately either, Right? Like, I, I, can, I can, like, kind of dip my toe in the water of, of changing my life by, by making some changes, but then not telling anyone about it. See how it works out for me, right? But if I do that in the sight of all, if I stand up and proclaim my faith before my family and friends and all those people, guess what happens? In the community, I'm held accountable to that change, to that commitment, right? Uh, over the last few weeks, we've, we've baptized a number of people here who, who stood up and proclaimed their faith to follow Jesus. Guess what we get to do as a church now? We get to encourage them and support them in this decision they've made to follow Jesus. They've, they've made this decision in the sight of all to let us know that they have put to death their old self and they desire to live in the new self of being submitted to and following Jesus and his purposes in his plan. So Luke tells us this morning that, that, that the people brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. This was a, this was a final decision. Back in those days, you couldn't, we, we couldn't burn a book and then go to Borders or, or Barnes & Noble and buy it the next day if we think we made a mistake, right? We couldn't just go on Amazon and order it and be like, oops, that was a mistake. I better get a new copy of that one. That doesn't, it can't happen like that. Not only was it, did it not work that way in, in those days before the printing press, but, but also it was very costly. It was expensive, right? These books, we're told, uh, were worth 50,000 silver pieces. And now, the, the thought is that these were probably drachmas, right? And, and a, a, a drachma, uh, or I should say 50,000 silver pieces in today's currency would be about $37,000. Not, you know, it doesn't seem, I mean, that's a lot. It's definitely a lot to me, but maybe it doesn't seem that much to you. But, but in those days, the value of these books, 50,000 silver pieces, was equivalent to 137 years of day's wages. One drachma, one, one silver piece, was the value of a day's wage. So, so, the decision that these, we don't know how many people necessarily contributed to this book burning, but, but the value of the books was significant. These people were not making a simple decision. They were, they were putting to death their old selves. They were doing it in such a way that there was no turning back for them. They were committing to following Jesus. They were committing themselves to, to, to and devoting themselves to Jesus and Jesus alone and abandoning all those other options that they thought might, might coincide or cooperate with Jesus, right? 
So the people's decision to fully commit to and follow Jesus came at a great cost. What cost, what cost have you experienced in your life? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that in order to receive salvation, we have to pay a fee. That's not what I'm saying here. But in following Jesus, you will pay a cost. Because we can't have Jesus and dot, 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 fill in the blank. There will be things that we have to burn out of our lives, abandon, put away, and do it in such a way that there is no turning back. And so the church grew as people realized how powerless magic and other religious uh, religions were and how powerful life to sur- of surrender to Jesus is. I, I think there are still many of us who view Jesus through the lenses of the, the seven sons of Sceva. We're, we're good with Jesus if we can pick him up and put him down when it's convenient to us, when it serves our purposes, when, when, when things are going well, you know, our relationship with Jesus is kind of cool, it's, it's, it's off to the side. But when, when something significant, significant comes into our life, we're quick to pick him up and, 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 and rely on him for strength. And for, but that's not, that's not the life that Paul presented to the people in Ephesus, to the church. He presents a, a life of full surrender, of full trust, of full commitment. For some of us, following Jesus isn't our priority. It's not our first love, our, a, a, a love that takes first place in our hearts until those, those needs we have for help become felt. So we're going to call on Jesus to help us with our job searches. We're going to call on Jesus to help us with our health concerns. We're going to call on Jesus to fill in the blank. But here's the thing, church. And, and this is an important lesson for the, the church in Ephesus to learn early on. The, the name of Jesus is not a tool to be wielded or a name to proclaim like some magic formula to fix our problems and, and help us meet our agenda. The name of Jesus is a life to surrender to, to abandon ourselves to, to, to burn off all those old ways of being and saying, I'm not going back. I want to I live in the kingdom of God. I want to trust Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to depend upon him. So Jesus and other religious ideas and beliefs go together like oil and water. They just don't mix. There's no, no room in your heart for both. You can't serve Jesus and, and the ways of this world. To fully commit to Jesus and his ways, he invites us to lay down our lives so that we can follow him. To take up our cross. The cross is it's a symbol of, of death. It's a symbol of, of, of curse. So to take up our cross daily is to abandon ourselves to our old ways of being and to follow Jesus day by day. That's true power. That's real transformation at, at work in our lives. And as a result, Luke tells us, the church grows and the word of the Lord continues to increase greatly and prevail mightily. See, church, when the world looks in on us, what they need to see is the power of Jesus transforming and changing lives. That's what happened there in Ephesus. A bunch of people abandoning themselves to their old ways of being and trusting Jesus alone to change their lives. Church, we don't have the words or the wit or the power to change the world for good. It's just not within us. We don't have enough programs or resources to change the world. But just like he did with Paul, Jesus wants to work uncommonly through your hands as we surrender our lives to him. And guess what's going to happen as a result? As the world sees Jesus' power at work in our lives, the word of the Lord will increase greatly and prevail mightily. Your, your heart was made to worship and serve one God. 
So submit your heart, submit your ways, submit your future to Jesus. And then let's watch him transform us in our community for his kingdom. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we pray for your spirit to be at work in us, Lord. We, we have circumstances and situations going on in our lives, things that feel insurmountable to us, but they're not insurmountable to you. Lord, there, there, are, there are things that, we, that we, we, we can identify problems in our lives and we think, how do I work this problem? How do I overcome it? How do I, how do I outlast it? How do I, how do I overcome and yet, Lord, we, we know from the very beginning of the church that Jesus founded, there is no overcoming it apart from Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would, your spirit would move among us, that, that you would give us uh, clarity and, and insight into those things in our lives that we need to burn before the sight of all, to say we're not going back to this life, we're not going to trust in this, but only Jesus. Lord, we desire to follow you, to commit our ways to you, to, to see your hand at work in and among us as your church. And so, Lord, we, we, we give you thanks for sending your son, Jesus. It's only in him that we have life, only in him that the power to transform is at work in us. So, Lord, have your way among us as your people. We're thankful that you accept us through faith in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, if it's not too selfish, we ask you to continue to allow that work to transform us, to change our behaviors, to be in line with your son, Jesus. Have your way among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.